I would say be very frugal um, and make sure you hire the right people to work with you because you can't do it all by yourself. You need to you need to hire consultants or or other or suppliers who can do some things for you and make sure you hire the right ones. Like I I threw some money away on an on a website company that I hired early on who built a website for me and um, they really did a terrible job and um, the they they didn't answer my messages and all that you know it was just not a good, a good relationship. So be very careful with who you hire and get references and talk to people and make sure you have the right helpers I, th I yeah. think that's that's crucial Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Mark DeMall. And uh, Mark uh, came from uh, Holland and uh, moved into or moved to the U.S. Uh, to come over here for uh, graduate school and uh, got a uh, uh, or got a, a chemical engineering a, or a degree and uh, went to work for uh, some firms there, including some larger companies, J and J and others. Um, and then uh, afterwards, uh, after working at those businesses, decided he wanted to go into uh, his business or to go into business himself. So developed a skincare product. Originally, that was for his daughter and then uh, had difficulty getting uh, some uh, customer attention in the industry. Um, and so has been navigating those waters, figuring it out and having a good time doing it. So with that much as introduction, welcome on the podcast, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Excited to have you here. So so I just gave a quick introduction to a, what is, I'm sure, a much longer journey. Um, so why don't we uh, back uh, things up a bit and tell us a little bit about uh, how your journey got uh, started uh, coming over into to the U.S. from Holland. Oh, well, that's a long time ago. Um, so I came for graduate study and um, I could have stayed in Holland, but I had a bit of an adventurous streak. So I decided to come to the U.S. and I had some good opportunities here. Um, and I ended up doing it here. Um, and I've always kind of had a business bug in my brain. So I didn't feel like staying in academia and doing academic research. Um, I, I went to work for a couple of different companies. Um, and I really liked working on consumer products. So I worked so, at Gillette. So let's maybe just if I can or back up a bit. So if you, if I understand it, you came here to the U.S. Um, to do graduate school. And, and what was the degree in or what did you study in, in graduate school? Oh, so I studied chemical engineering um, and it was a PhD. And um, uh, I had uh, graduation work in liquid crystals, which was really interesting. I, I found some really interesting phenomena that those materials display. Um, and that was it was very cool. Hmm. So now, and what maybe it's one follow-up question to that, which is, you know, so what made you kind of go in the direction or decide, hey, I want to come to the U.S., I wanted to study, was there different opportunities or the right schools or kind of what what drove you from, uh, or drove you to come to, to the U.S. from Holland or what made or made that decision for you? Well, before I came to the U.S., I had spent a, uh, a year in London uh, as an exchange student um, at Imperial College. And... Um, and when I was there, I was in, in a team with, with kids from all over the world, right? Students from all over the world. And it was just a really fun environment and really energizing. And, and I really liked that. And back in Holland, that didn't really exist. So that was why I started looking for 
having that sort of environment to, to work in in the U.S. Okay, so it makes sense. So you come come to the U.S. or study graduate uh, or get your graduate degree and then do those studies. And now as you're you're coming out of uh, graduate school, kind of what was uh, the first position you took, or where did you where did you start your uh, working world journey off at? Well, my working journey was a little bit determined by immigration law uh, because I didn't have a green card at that point. Um, mm-hmm. So I started out doing uh, a year of uh, post postdoctoral study in Minnesota. Um, and then with that, uh, on my resume, I found a position at uh, Gillette in Boston uh, working on paper-made products, which which was really fun. Um, uh, you know, paper pens and pens and writing instruments are, are little things, but there's a surprising amount of technology that goes into it. Uh, so it was really fun to work on that and, and come up with some of my new ideas, new concepts. No, it does sound, you know, sometimes you, you take some of those uh, things for granted, and yet there's a lot that goes into them to put that pen in your hand to make sure it works and to otherwise uh, make those incremental improvements. So works for Gillette. And how long how long did you work for Gillette for? For Gillette for about three years. And then I moved to Unilever um, in uh, New York, um, where um, I worked on skincare. And that was the first time I worked uh, in skincare. Um, I was always interested in biological applications, so skincare was seemed to be like a great area to work in. Um, and so this, I and, more... Yeah, and you hit on that. What was the, and kind of maybe just to dive in, what was the motivation for moving? Because it does seem like, you know, Gillette, pens, paper products, and those type of things, going over to skincare is a fairly large jump or a different or a much different uh, area or industry. So what was kind of that motivation to to move from the the first or from uh, Gillette over to the the new or new adventure? So, so this is what often happens in business, right? So Gillette decided to sell that business. I guess with uh, with computers becoming in general use everywhere in the late '90s, and nobody was really writing much anywhere, so the business many more so the business wasn't doing so well for Gillette, uh, and it was sort of a misfit with the rest of the business. Um, initially, when I was there, the big strategy of, of Gillette was to sell um, like cartridges for like with the razors, right? Basically they sold the razor heads and then they, they gave the handles away. And that's sort of what they wanted to replicate in other industries. So mm-hmm. paper made was something similar. So you give the pen away and you sell the ink, right? So, but I guess that didn't really work out for them. Um, so they sold my business and uh, my, my team was essentially disbanded. Mm-hmm. So, so then I'm, that's when I moved to Unilever. Uh, makes sense. So you say, okay, the team is a bit disbanded. There isn't that opportunity there anymore. So you move over to Unilever, Unilever, if I can say it right. And so Unilever, you said that it was kind of more in the skincare um, industry and kind of, you know, how is that transitioning or how is that getting into that uh, industry and, and how did that go for you? So Unilever is an interesting company, right? They're enormous. They're all over the world. Every every country, they sell their uh, their products. And um, it, it was really interesting to learn about how all that worked. And I worked on some major brands like Dove and Ponds, some of the big skincare brands that Unilever has. And, and, and it's really fun to put a product on the market and see it in the stores. And you know that you worked on this, right? And it's in, in stores nationwide. That's really cool. So I like, I like that aspect of it. Um, and, but then Unilever also had, you know, it's a European company. Um, and... Um, um, it was very academic in a way. Uh, the place where I was working was very academic. Um, so at Gillette, we were very entrepreneurial. We were, you know, launching these new pens. And if it, if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, we came up with some other innovation. And Unilever, it was more about doing the research and understanding the skin and mm. um, and uh, trying to design new products that way. 
Um, so I didn't really like that aspect of it, but for the rest, it was a great working environment. Everybody else was really smart. Um, and, um, you know, the, the products were very cool because they actually solved real life problems for people. So that's what I like too about it. So now you, so you, so you go to, I think or go to Unilever, um, we're there for how long did you or work for Unilever? How long were you in the, the skincare industry? I was there before you. Well, I'm still in the skincare industry, <laughs> but I, <worked laughs> I guess that's true. For How long years. were you with Unilever working on yeah. skincare? About four years, and then Unilever decided to close that lab. So then I found something else nearby, which was International Flavors, uh, which was again doing skincare and also some home care. Um, I worked on detergents um, and skincare products and hair care products, um, and uh, you know they had a new technology which was really exciting which was an uh, encapsulated fragrance. So you would put a fragrance in a product and it was encapsulated. So when you apply it to a, a towel, for example, and you rub the towel afterwards, after it's washed, the, the capsules would break and release the fragrance. And that was really cool. Like It really worked. Uh, so you could get this fresh fragrance uh, every time you took a towel out of the, out of the, out of the, the, the closet. So, so that application was really fun, but then they, IFF wanted to expand that to other product areas, to skincare, to hair care. And we tried for a long time and it, it never really worked um, for other applications um, mm -hmm. because uh, either the capsules would clump together or, or, um, or you couldn't get enough fragrance in them. Um, there's all sorts of issues. So they're all very interesting problems, but in the end, there wasn't really uh, anything that worked. So then I moved to Johnson & Johnson uh, to do skincare again. But this was more of a marketing position, uh, doing um, doing baby products, and and at Johnson and Johnson, I really learned how to how to launch a product because that was my job to take a concept and launch it, um, and that that was that was really interesting to me. I, you know, I had to work with people from all over the company, um, in different departments because they all are involved in product launches, um, and make sure that they're all on board with my product that I wanted to launch when they have like twenty other products that they're working on. And um, and make sure all of that uh, happens on time and um, so to meet the launch window, because these products would go to Walmart and places like that, and they only allow product launches like a couple times a year. Um, so you have to meet that window, otherwise you lose sales. Um, so so that was really interesting, an interesting environment, very different from Unilever, where it was very academic and sort of long-term research. And then the Johnson Johnson was all about like tomorrow and. And get this out the door and make sure this happens on time and that happens on time. And I did a lot of consumer studies there as well. So I really understood how consumers uh, think and how they work and why they pick certain products over other products. I, we did, I did a lot of work in my team on, on understanding that. And I thought that was interesting too. And, and, and one very interesting thing at J&J uh, was at one point that we worked on a, on, a, on a skincare product, which was for babies who are having, uh, who are sick, right? Who, are, who have like, Trouble. They have like snotty noses and stuff, and they have trouble breathing. And we did some focus groups with with moms, um, and um, some of these moms they were like at their wits' end with their with their child. They didn't know what to do anymore. Nothing worked, and 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 so we tried to develop a product for them, and and that was really um, sort of made me sort of passionate about this area to help these people who are really like lost and didn't don't know what to do anymore, and their child is suffering. Um, so, so I thought that was really that was really uh, uh, an interesting thing to work on at J and J. 
Um, sounds like it was a, a fun opportunity and said, sounds like it was a bit of a, a rewarding, uh, rewarding product that you're able to, to help out people that are looking for uh, avenues to help their kids. So, so with that, so how long now, so you moved over to J&J, so it kind of sounds like once you kind of got in the more of the skincare, those type of industry or that type of products, that's where you tended to stay or throughout the the, the different uh, opportunities that came on or along your journey. Now, how long were you at J&J and kind of how, or, you know, how long was that uh, portion of the journey for you? That was about four years. So um, I was at J&J. Um, then J&J got into a lot of trouble. They had warning letters from the FDA. And just that I was working on baby powder with talc. Mm. And, and that started to become an issue because people were concerned about asbestos in talc. Um, and and we talked to the, I know I, I met with a toxicologist at J&J quite all the time. And they said, well, there is no asbestos in our talc. We tested it a lot of times and we never found any. Mm. Yeah, even if you test something a hundred times and you don't find it, it doesn't mean it's not there. Um, there might still be a trace or somebody will find something somewhere. And that's how J&J got into the talc trouble that they're in now. But that was after I left, right? So I left J&J because I had an opportunity at BSF to, to lead a team in sun and skincare. Um, and at J&J, I had made a, a sun, sunscreen for, for babies that we launched nationwide and also in other countries. Um, mm. And that's another area that I'm passionate about, right? Because that's a real consumer problem, sunscreen and... and, and uh, and the effects of the sun on the skin. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a big issue, like skin cancer rates are going up and up and up. Um, so it's it, that's something where you can really make an impact. Um, so I like that um, that, play, that, uh, that area of the skincare market. And I moved to BASF because I was there, I had the opportunity to lead a team working on ingredients for sunscreens. Sounds like it was an interesting opportunity. So, so now yeah. at some point along that journey, as you're going between, you know, having or exploring the different opportunities, getting to work on a lot of fun products, learning the different skill sets with the different businesses and how they approach. I think you mentioned at one point you kind of started to work on a product, maybe on the side, and you correct me where I'm wrong. Those kind of for your daughter to help with uh, some skin issues or skincare issues of hers or my dish yet, or help me fill that in, or, or make sure I don't slaughter it too bad. Yeah, that was later, right? So after I left BASF, um, I, I started uh, I started my own company, which was a consulting company, um, and I'm, I was helping um, entrepreneurs who wanted to launch their own uh, cosmetic products, um, and I helped them develop it and bring it to the market. And uh, and I was working with these startup people running startups, and to me, it sounded like, well, this is something that I can do, right? It, it's not very complicated. You just you just make the product and you launch it, and uh, you know you don't need a PhD to do that. So, and then so I, and I've always been looking for business opportunities uh, in the industry because I've always had that entrepreneurial bug, like thinking about, well, I really want to run run my own shop someday. Hmm. Um, and um, so then this issue happened with my daughter who had very dry skin, and. Uh, she was about six or seven at the time, and her, her pediatrician recommended these uh, these uh, barrier creams, which are things like Acrophor, which are which are really thick and sticky, uh, and just horrible to use. And my daughter just wouldn't use them, and you know she thought they were like medicines and and, and medical products, and she wouldn't use them. Um, and that just gave me the idea that you know we need to make something that's better for kids that kids can use and it helps them. 
so, so that's when, when I started my company and started thinking about a formula and about a brand name and all these things that come into play. Um, and so let uh, me ask one thing, because you were at that time where you still doing the, the consultancy business that you'd started at, at that point or or kind of how did that transition? Was it started the business that you're doing, you know, with the, the, the sprung from the idea from your daughter, jump in full time or kind of start that as a side hustle or on the side? Or how did that how did that transition go? And kind of, you know, maybe you're still doing both today, but help us to, to fill that in a bit. Yeah, so I'm still doing both today, right? Because the the uh, the product doesn't really bring in the money yet. So I, I do need to make some money. So the consulting business is is uh, that's what what, what pays the bills. Um, but uh, and yeah, the, I have good hopes for my for my brand. Um, I've had only good feedback for it. Um, and uh, but there's been so many challenges getting that on the market more than I expected. So um, so I, I'm getting some traction, but it's it's not easy. Not as easy as I thought. And what is, and I'm just curious to the degree that you can share in that is, you know, kind of what are those hurdles that you're facing? Because I think that, you know, what you're facing is what a lot of startups do, right? Everybody has, what is a great idea? You start to get maybe a prototype, proof of concept, make a small batch, and then you quickly find out that, you know, the, some of the things that you thought weren't going to be difficult or were going to be, you know, simple or easy to breeze through or otherwise were going, weren't going to be hurdles are much, you know, are, are much more difficult or take more time consuming or take more effort. So kind of help us fill in kind of what are those, some of those maybe hurdles that you're facing and how have you dealt with them or, or worked to overcome them? Yeah, so there's a lot of them, right? So um, so making the product is easy. I, I know what the ingredients are. I know how to formula is. I know what I want in the formula and what I don't want. So that, that was the easy part because that's my background. Mm. But um, um, just, just, marketing it and selling it that's not so that's not so easy right that's a lot harder than i thought so um you know you can make a wonderful product like like we did right and it fulfills a real consumer need um but then if people don't know about it who's going to buy it right so you so you can advertise and even if you advertise as much as you want if the website doesn't work right and people are still not going to buy it and, and there, there are so still so many different parts to it um in in terms of marketing that i'm still learning about so for mm -hmm. and and everything everything in marketing is very expensive. I found that very quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, one of the first mistakes that I that I big that I made was that I, you know, in our area in in in, in West in Connecticut, Connecticut, there's a, a parents magazine which is called uh, Westchester Parent, and um, so I figure, well, that's a great place to advertise my product because it's all parents, and um, you know, they all have kids and they all need, you know, at least some of them will need this product. So it's a great great place to advertise so I, I i spoke to those and they approached me about advertising um which is another thing that that, that should give me some hesitation but it turned out it was over a thousand dollars to place an ad and um so i did that and then uh, i got like zero return mm. so nobody no i got no leads so that was a total waste and um you know i i, I quickly learned that you have to be very careful with with where you spend your 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 dollars there's so many people who want to take your money like i'm constantly being emailed by people who want to sell the uh, seo services or website design or what have you all these different parts and there's people from all over the world india from india and from china and all these different places they all want me to uh to send them money to say can they can help put my product on the first page in google which is never going to happen um so, so I, 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 I'm, I've become very hesitant with, uh, with spending marketing money. So that's that's a big learning that I had. 
Mm. No, um, and, and I think that that is hard, right? So, I mean, I think that that's, no. that's where a lot of startups get to is you got a great idea. You can, the product's great. And now how do you get, let people know and how do you get aware of it? Because one is, you know, it is hard. I think, you know, just because you make a better mousetrap doesn't mean everybody's going to buy the better mousetrap, especially if they don't know about it. But even two is, you know, there is a lot of, there's a lot of great people, a lot of great services out there that help you along the way. And there's also plenty of, you know, snake oil salesmen and charlatans and people that will take your money and don't give you much of a return. And, you know, if it's your first go around, and even if it's your second or third go around, and you're in, you know, you're trying to figure it out, trying to figure out the industry and how to do it. It's not as straightforward as it always make, uh, they always make it look like on TV and movies and the books. And so I think that's, you know, one that you always have, it takes a while to navigate. And if you can navigate it, and sometimes, you know, it's just too difficult or too expensive to navigate. And other times you figure out your niche or your way of doing it but i think you know kind of what you're hitting on is uh, what i think a lot of a lot of businesses experience as well yeah for sure so yeah no it's that's something to be very wary of, of of all these different people want wanting money from you um but for the rest you know i found some good con good uh, consultants to work with um and there's plenty of people who do want to help you mm -hmm. um so so i i you know i have, so I have a core group of uh, people that i work with that that that, that are really helpful um, and that, that 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 have been a lot of help. Um, so so it is possible to find to find good consultants and good um, good companies that 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 will actually help you sell your product. So so I have, I have good hopes for that going forward. I have a couple of good firms that I'm working with, um, and sales are beginning to come in. So it's uh, it's working. Um, in the beginning, when I first started, I was I, th I was sort of thinking like you know. Um, if I, if it doesn't sell online, I'll just sell it uh, in person at trade fairs and in stores and things like that. But when I started doing that um, and it worked, you know, you can, I can sell product at trade fairs. But if I'm there, I spend the whole day there at a trade fair and I sell like 10 bottles. And um, it, it it just, it would never be a good use of my time to do that. Um, so that route sort of went away very quickly. Um, so you really have to think about your marketing channels. But where are you going to sell? Um, the thing is that in, in in stores, a lot of stores are chain stores, so they can they will, they they manage their vendors on a national level. So, um, for example, in our neighborhood, there is a store which is sort of like a natural product store, but they are a, na a national chain. It would be a great fit for my product, but they're a national chain, and it's the purchasing is all managed on a national level, and there's so many there's so much competition you will never get in on the national level. So, so to, so to 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 get press and uh, and to get attention, you really have to either have something really special that people are excited about, or you need to spend a lot of money um, on marketing and, and advertising, and on influencers and things like that. So um, yeah, it's it's definitely a big challenge, but it's interesting to learn about all this stuff. No, and it is it is a it is certainly a learning curve. It's interesting to learn. Sometimes you have to pay a lot of what you know, quote unquote, stupid tax, which is just learning the mistakes that you have to make along the way in order to not make them again. And then, and, and you know, I think every business goes through that. And sometimes it's hey, you pay the person to do the SEO and you don't get the return. And sometimes it's hey, we'll pay for online ads. And I think you know, there's a misconception. All I have to do is go and advertise on Google or Facebook, and everybody will buy the buy the product. And that's not always true. And so it, you know, it always is interesting that you have to navigate that way to figure out sometimes what are what doesn't work in order to find out what does work. And sounds like that's uh, you know 
know, get a lot of uh, great learning that's going on with the business and, uh, and get starting to get, gather traction on that front as well. So, yeah, no, definitely. Yep. So, so now with that, so now as we've kind of reached a bit of the, the present day of your journey, um, always a good time to jump to the two questions I like to ask towards the end of each episode. Um, so mm-hmm. the first question I'd like to ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? What'd you learn from it? <laughs> well, the worst one is probably what I already said, right? I was spending all that money on advertising and not getting a return. So I learned that I have to be much more careful. And, and also that originally the marketing budget that I set for my business was way too low. So, you know, whatever marketing marketing budget you have, triple it or quadruple it. That's how much you need to spend. Um, that's that's what I learned as well, especially no, for sounds, consumer, consumer businesses. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, and I think that, you know, kind of what almost circling back now what I said, which is I think people have sometimes a conception of, Hey, we, you know, cause you, you see it all over and you see, Hey, Oh, I, you know, I started this business and I just spent no money or a little bit of money on advertising dollars and it blew up on, it went viral on socials. And sometimes that happens. It's always, it's always a possibility, but I think it, it gives people the misconception that that's how every business is. And you just have to have, you know, it'll magically just uh, take care of itself. And I think then you get into it and you have to figure out, Hey, this marketing marketing is a big part of the the business in order to get the word out so people know. So sounds like a good uh, good uh, easy mistake to make, but a good one to learn from. Sure. Second question now that I ask is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Um, I would say be very frugal um, and make sure you hire the right people to work with you because you can't do it all by yourself. You need to you need to hire consultants or or other or suppliers who can do some things for you, and make sure you hire the right ones. Like I I threw some money away on an on a website company that I hired early on who built a website for me, and um, they really did a terrible job. And um, the they they didn't answer my messages and all the you know it was just not a good good relationship. So be very careful with who you hire and get references and talk to people and make sure you have the right helpers. I think that's, that's crucial. Uh, and I love that. Cause I, I love, on the one hand, I, I like the acknowledgement of the recognition. Hey, you don't have all of the expertise all the time when you're, especially as you're getting going now, you have to still wear a lot of hats, still get a lot of things done, but when you get to critical areas where you're just lacking that uh, or information or that experience, it is worthwhile to find those people that can help you to fill in those gaps. And yet on the other hand, you still have to be careful because there are plenty of people out there that say that they'll help you fill in those gaps, happy to take your money. And then all you're left with is a lower ba- or lower bank account and uh, not a, a lot to show for. And so I, I like that balance of, of that, uh, that guidance. Yep. Well, now as, as we're wrapping up the episode, if people want to reach out to you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to be an employee, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? So go to our website. It's it's not hatchnaturals.com. And um, there's a contact, uh, there's contact information there. You can email um, at info at, at nothatchnaturals.com and that will go to me. Um, and that's that's really the best way to get in touch. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to reach out to or reach out to you, connect with you, and if nothing else, make a new best friend. So yeah. <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you the listeners that are out there, if you have your own journey to share and you'd like to be guests on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So just go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. 
couple more things as listeners, make sure to click share, subscribe, and leave us a review so that we can make sure to share these journeys with even more startups and small businesses to help them along their journey to success. Last but not least, if you ever need help with your startup, your small business with patents or trademarks, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat. We're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Mark, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks very much.